This podcast is a project of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency committed to building creative communities and inspiring creative minds. When someone says, you know, I, I love nature, I don't have many opportunities to be alone in nature, but because you built this trail, my wife can drop me off at the trailhead and she can come back an hour later and I can be completely alone in nature, which is a very unusual treat for me. Hello, I'm Anita Walker at the Massachusetts Cultural Council. Welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. We're joined today by Lucy Gertz. She is the Statewide Education Projects Manager at Mass Audubon. And you are doing some really groundbreaking work around accessibility in the outdoors. Um, I think you know we're pretty interested in this topic here at the Mass Cultural Council. We've launched a program called UP, Universal Programs and Universal Places, that is really built on making Massachusetts the most accessible place on the planet to participate in the arts and culture. But this is work you've been doing for quite some time. Tell us a little about how you got into it. I'd be happy to. Thanks for, for having me. In 2008, uh, some of our sanctuary committee members at one of our sites asked if they could give us $5,000 to... <laughs> and you said, really? <laughs> uh, designated to reopen what was then known as a Braille Trail that had been neglected and overgrown. So I was asked to start working with these um, committee members and donors. And uh, the trail was very rocky. It was completely overgrown with poison ivy. It was, it was going to be nearly impossible to turn that into a uh, kind of a safe, wonderful trail. But right next to it was a cart path that looked practically ADA compliant. So I worked with the donors and convinced them to m move the location and make the trail more universally accessible. And uh, we had an Eagle Scout work with us. We had um, the Massachusetts Department of Conservation Recreation provided a lot of help. And for that $5,000, we were able to open what we call our first accessible interpreted trail at Mass Audubon. So talk to me about what are some of the features about a truly accessible trail? And obviously, in the olden days, it was about having the signs in Braille so that people who couldn't see could at least get the information. It's a lot more than that now. Definitely. So first we have to make sure the trail is physically ADA compliant. So that was, um, there was some grading and you know elevation work and some removing some barriers and then we put up a, a uh, uh, fencing with a rope guide, posts and beams, uh, fencing with a rope guide so that a visually impaired visitor could follow the rope guide. Uh, they don't, all of our trails don't have rope guides, but this first one did, and we needed some sort of tactile cue system for letting them know where the stops would be. So all of the trails have a, have a one hour, approximately one hour interpretive experience. So each one has anywhere from 10 to 12 stops, and so the one of the first accessible features beside the ADA compliance is, a, is some sort of navigational system. So we have that on most or all of our trails. Then we have the stops marked with these posts. And, and if you're following the rope guide, there's a this bead. A round bead lets you know you're at an interpretive stop and the, the sign is right nearby. And this, the sign is printed in large print and braille. And if there's a, a cell phone connected to the site's audio interpretation, the phone number is also put on that sign in print and in braille. So that is how visitors know you know how to how to progress on the trail. Uh, at each stop, they can get the interpretation in a few different formats. So, if the site has good cell phone coverage, signal good signal strength, we can attach it to a cell phone tour. We can put the the audio tour on a cell phone. 
uh, and they can reach it, you know, by simply fo phoning the, the number. Sites, um, some sites don't have a good cell phone signal and some visitors don't have a cell phone they, they can use or want to use. So we also have Victor Stream readers, which are very um, uh, popular book readers for people who are um, visually impaired or completely blind. So we've been g loading those with the audio tour and we have those available for loan. And visitors can also download the audio tour ahead of time off the website if they want to put it on their own iPod or their own audio device. So having the, the interpretation in as many different formats as possible has been really key. Uh, we had to add on most of the trails since the original trail, we've learned how to add um, accessibility friendly seating areas and make other trail improvements. We have tactile learning learning activities at the station, so it's not just talking to them about what to listen for or, or look for or smell. Uh, we also have stops where they can actually feel things we've set up for them to do, like life cycles of a butterfly or compare bark textures or things. So how do, how do people know about this? It's one thing to design a trail that is accessible to all, but it's mm -hmm. another thing to let people know that it's there and they really can participate? That's a great question because outreach has been a really important part of this project. So for each of the trails, and we now have 11, they're all over the state, we're, we're going to eventually have 20. Um, so we're more than halfway there. But one, on the 11 trails we've done so far, each trail has been developed with a team of staff and volunteers connected to the site who know the site really well and can help create the interpretation, but also we've brought in accessibility consultants and local resource professionals, and those local resource professionals have been incredibly helpful in the outreach endeavor. So they they get us testers, we've had expert users test all the trails in development, we wouldn't finish anything without that input, it's been incredibly helpful. And the, the outreach, um, the resource professionals have also provided a great deal of outreach because they work with all sorts of audiences and they've often sent people or brought people to the trails. They help so, them advertise the trails. So if I were an organization thinking about accessibility, um, so you mentioned two things and I want to dig a little deeper into these two resources. One, user experts and two, you talked about resource professionals. So first of all, what is a user expert? A user expert is someone who can work with us and bring the, the uh, perception or the perspective of someone who needs accessibility accommodations. So we have um, people who use mobility devices, people who have vision challenges or even who are completely blind. Uh, we've had um, users with cognitive challenges. So we, for each trail, we've typically had five to seven expert users come one or more times to help us identify the stops, provide navigation from one stop to the next if needed, um, help us use the language that helps them understand everything we're trying to explain at that stop. You talked about resource professionals. For example, who are these people? So one resource professional was the uh, program director at the Stavros Center for Independent Living. He himself is a wheelchair user. He not only brought testers with him uh, and and traveled the trail and gave us all sorts of pointers, he actually went through the building which at the time it was built was considered ADA compliant and he made us a punch list of about 10 things we had to fix that would help upgrade to current standards. You know, for example, in the men's room the mirror wasn't tilted right so he couldn't use it. Um, the back door from the Accessible Nature Center to get out to the accessible deck that starts the where the trail starts, the, it required too much pressure to open the door. 
he gave us a, a checklist. We, we worked our way down that checklist. And then he continues to bring people to the trail. So he was, he was a resource professional that um, many, many roles wrapped up into one. <laughs> so this is not just about um, um, serving people with disabilities for the right reasons. This is audience development, too. Oh, absolutely. We've had, these trails are used by everyone. And and so we're getting more visitors and a broader group of visitors. But there are lots of families and uh, individuals and groups who don't necessarily need the accessibility accommodations, but they're more comfortable on these wider, smoother trails. They're not worried about poison ivy and ticks and getting lost because the trails are so well marked and so well maintained. They're very welcoming for beginners. So for it's access for all, really, absolutely. is what it's all about. I can imagine that probably one reason that we don't see more of what you're doing is fear. Fear that, oh my gosh, if I ask too many questions, it's going to cost me too much money. Uh, we can't do it. They're going to find a million things wrong. I don't even want to open that can of worms up. Yes, and we never say that we've arrived at, you know, we've, we're at completion. <laughs> we're, it's always, it's a spectrum. We're getting as accessible as we can. We're trying to be as inclusive as we can with these trail experiences. There are always things we can do better. And the trails also get impacted by nature. So we have to resurface and trees fall down and we have to fix things. And so we're never done because of where the trails are anyway, because <laughs> they're outside. But, you know, we make them as accessible as we can. How did you get over the fear, though, of sometimes not being perfect? Well, the accessibility consultants have helped me tremendously. I have four accessibility consultants that have been with me the whole time since the first project. We've done all 11 trails together. And we did not have any guidelines when we started this together. We have figured out a lot of this. And people are calling us now and saying, how do you do this? And that's another project we're working on is creating best practices. Uh, materials for other groups because we're getting so many inquiries. But there, there are a lot of guidelines for access, um, access areas, but not a lot of guidelines for recreational trails. So we, we've had to make some of this up and figure it out ourselves. So that eliminates a lot of our, our feeling that we have to be perfect because a lot of it was experimentation. So what are some of your big takeaways, some of the big learnings, especially for those who have outdoor environments or outdoor trails that they're interested in making more accessible? Well, one of my biggest learnings was, um, and I'm so glad I had this experience on the first trail, because I, I think people might tend to develop and plan and build these trails without getting a lot of input. And I think the tester, the, the expert users, we called them testers uh, before we were in the up network, now we call them expert users, <laughs> uh, they, their input completely turned around some of the plans we had. And, and strengthened our products and our process so much. And I don't, I wouldn't dream of doing it without that input. Um, that, I didn't know that was how it was going to be. But after the first trail, I learned how valuable that was and I just kept using expert users. So there's a difference between reading guidelines and then having real people actually come and really use um, the trail or mm -hmm. exhibit or whatever it else that you may be building. Yes. Yeah, I think we came up with the bead system ourselves. I'm not even, we don't even remember, but <laughs> um, we didn't know how to mark this, how to, how to give a tactile cue for the stops. And one of our testers or accessibility consultants suggested the bead system. So that's what we have. We have a round bead for an interpretive stop. We have a square bead. That means there's seating nearby. 
and one of our trails had it had uh, it was linear it went down a hill and then back up and we wanted stops both going down and up because the testers said it was too hard physically to come back up without stopping a few times so we ended up having 10 of the stops go down and then we saved three or four for the way back so we needed a third kind of bead to indicate yes it's a stop but we don't want you to stop here till you're on your way back up the hill um, <laughs> so we, we made like a wheel a wooden wheel <laughs> um, I don't know if we'll ever need a fourth kind of bead but we'll have to come up with one if we do have you ever had any big surprises in terms of somebody coming and you just couldn't figure out how to give them a good experience? Uh, probably, yeah. The, <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, I do have a, I do have a collection of accessibility bloopers that we've experienced, and we use them to learn. We learn from them. All right, so give <laughs> us a blooper. <laughs> so uh, one of one of the most recent bloopers was a visitor who showed up with a a service dog. And we had just finished the training about service. We actually had to write, because more visitors coming to these trails with service animals, even though we have a no pets policy at our wildlife sanctuaries, we had to come up with a way to be inclusive to people who would show up with service animals, to be inviting and welcoming and make it work. So uh, we got help from one of our accessibility consultants. She had worked with other groups and helping. She gave us examples of, of service animal policies from zoos and and visiting farms, places where the public go where there are animals, because we do have two or three sites with live animals on exhibit and farm animals. And it was really important to us to protect the, the native species that are all over the sanctuary and the, and the animals on display. So we went through this, we, we developed, it was it's not a policy, because the policy is anybody with a service animal can go anywhere the public's invited. We know that's the, those are the regs that's important to uphold that law. and, and let people do what they have the right to do but we were cautious about what our visitor services personnel would do so we we developed a statement and put it on our website and trained all of our sites it said okay if somebody shows up with a working animal this is you know you you, you want to protect the animal you want to protect the handler and you want to protect the wildlife and the animals on display and here here's how zoos do it here's how farms do it and, and this is, it's, it's a message you give to the visitor. If they call ahead or if they show up, these are the things you want to tell them that we want to be careful. And, you know, if, if, your, if your service animal is having an, a not great encounter with a wild animal or an animal on display, we have staff who can help you. We'll, you know, all the same things a zoo, a zoo would have. So a week after that training, <laughs> someone showed up with a, a, a service animal in training, a puppy in training with without any kind of certification or gear and explain to the person at the window at one of our sites that does have wildlife on, on display that this was a service animal and there's like I don't see any identification you know and the person was not at our training and said you just you can't bring the dog here and the the trainer the the animal handler knew a lot about service animals she trains them and she said no actually I can <laughs> and they had a they, they had an exchange <laughs> Um, and the, the person staffing the visitor desk, the, the admissions desk, called someone else and said, can you give us some advice? And the person they called hadn't been to our training and gave the wrong advice and said, you're right, a dog can't come here. And they ended up sending the person away. I, that's like a huge accessibility blooper. They've since resolved it. We've given her the red carpet treatment. She's come many times with her service animals. Um, but I was horrified when that happened. We had just finished the training. We just finished the statement. And we thought we had arrived at some sort of good place with that. And I realized we'll, we'll never be done. There are always going to be those hopefully fewer and fewer of those, but 
it's a challenge. The cultural piece is a real challenge. As you know, that's why we call our program UP. It's a direction, not a destination. And <laughs> we know we're never going to get there, but we just keep getting better. I love you, the fact that you use the word blooper because that says you're trying. And trying means that you know, you'll trip once in a while, but it means you're still trying to get there. And you, it also really uh, hits home. You keep talking about the cultural piece, the, the culture of your staff, so that you can't give a solution to absolutely everything, but you can provide a way of thinking so that people can come to the right answer on their own. And um, training is really a big, big part of it. Mm -hmm. It's got to be. Yeah, and we have to untrain a bit, too, because our original mission, you know, protecting the nature of Massachusetts, People are, are, our staff and volunteers are very, they, they are very tied to that mission. And so sometimes they think that, you know, welcoming in a broad audience and service animals and motorized wheelchairs, you know, that that contradicts their job of protecting nature. So we have to remind them that we're, you know, we're connecting people to nature, that that's our, our new and improved mission. <laughs> But we have some people who've been there for 30 years saying, no, 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 you can't bring a motorized vehicle here. No, no, no. And we're like, well, actually, yeah, we have a new policy for that because they can. And we have figured out how to make it work. So, so yeah. if there are some organizations listening to this podcast and uh, um, are starting to catch a little bit of this uh, inclusive accessibility fever, and it's more than the ADA. I mean, you make it clear that it's not just compliance with a set of rules and regulations because there are things that hadn't even been thought about when the ADA was written, and there's always going to be new situations that you confront. Tell us why this is so much fun, and you wouldn't do it any other way. <laughs> it is. It is fun. It's. It's. Um, it's very heartwarming. You know, we've had we've had families who have been to one trail, and then they've helped fund the access, what we call the accessible overlay or the experience stops on another trail because they want their adult son who's in a wheelchair to be able to go to multiple sites instead of just the one they, they are near. And so uh, the Lions Club have, have supported many of the trails locally with the, with, with the instruments and the expenses associated with visually impaired using the trails. So just the, the community that comes together is just wonderful. I can see by I the look at your question, though, did I? Yes, I you did. Actually, <laughs> we, you talked about community, and I really mm -hmm. do think we are all part of one community. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why we but, like the idea of accessibility for all. Mm -hmm. Not special things for special people, but um, when you make it easier for one, you actually make it easier for yeah. all of us. What's, what's heartwarming, that was what you asked me, what's heartwarming is when, when someone says, someone say who's totally blind, says, you know, I, I love nature, I like to bird by ear. I, I like to be alone in nature. I don't have many opportunities to be alone in nature, but because you built this trail, my wife can drop me off at the trailhead and she can come back an hour later and I can be completely alone in nature, which is a very unusual treat for me. And so those kinds of stories are, are incredible. And there was another, another mom who wrote to us that her 14-year-old son, um, who's very physically has a lot of physical challenges. Um, they, he's discovered birding, and he last summer they went to I think most of our trails. They, that's how they spent their summer, and she was so delighted to discover the trails. And they that was their summer quest was to visit all of them. Lucy Gertz from Mass Audubon, thank you for sharing a bit of your creative mind out loud. Thank you. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.